Hello, and welcome to this, the 13th podcast in our series from the TTM Academy at Penn Medicine. My name is Dr. Benjamin Abella. I'm the leader of the TTM Academy program, and we have offered this podcast as part of a comprehensive suite of educational products pertaining to post-arrest care and targeted temperature management. You can learn more about our program by going to penttm.com, where you can find information about our podcasts, live workshops, two-day masterclass at Penn, as well as our flagship on-demand video course on post-arrest care. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Felipe Teran, who is a faculty member with me at the University of Pennsylvania, and also a national leader in the area of TEE, or transesophageal echocardiography, in critical care settings, including following cardiac arrest. You're absolutely right, Ben. The assessment of cardiac function during resuscitation is often challenging, but it's really critical in the management of cardiac arrest patients. Let's start with some context here. The use of transthoracic echocardiography, or TTE, is really widely used in 2019 as a diagnostic tool during the resuscitation of cardiac arrest patients. It can provide um, characterization of the type of cardiac activity of myocardial function during cardiac arrest. What is the heart actually doing in the cardiac arrest that we're managing? It can help us identify potentially treatable pathologies, such as a cardiac tamponade or massive pulmonary embolism, and also um, provides important prognostic information. Regarding prognostic information, I think most people in the resuscitation community um, must be aware at this point that there's been a number of studies demonstrating the role of ultrasound um, as a tool to help the, in the determination of uh, prognosis of patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. We know uh, from several studies that um, the distinction between uh, the presence of PEA um, and patients that have organized cardiac activity in ultrasound, what we call pseudo-PEA, and cardiac standstill, the distinction between those different entities is important. And why is it important? Well, several studies have shown that pseudo-PEA, this condition where we have an organized electrical rhythm in the monitor, we don't have a pulmonary pulse, and we have the presence of organized cardiac activity in the ultrasound, this entity has much better prognosis compared to cardiac stencil. The most comprehensive study to uh, the state, uh, the recent study led by Romulo Gaspari and team, showed us that the presence of cardiac activity um, when was present in the initial TTE performed in emergency department patients, the survival to discharge um, rate of those patients was about six times higher um, compared to those in whom there was no cardiac activity, specifically 3.8% for those that had cardiac activity compared to 0.6% in those that had no cardiac activity. In terms of diagnostic value, they saw that the highest survival rate in that cohort of, of patients that, as a reminder, enrolled over 700 patients, they saw 15% survival, 15.4% among patients who were found to have a pericardial effusion thought to be cardiac tamponade in that subsequently underwent pericardiosynthesis. 
it's important to remember that there is simply no other way to make the diagnosis of, for instance, cardiac tamponade in a, patient's, uh, in a patient managed uh, during cardiac arrest. Um, and current resuscitation guidelines really mandate that clinicians actively consider this diagnosis as one of the so-called ages and T's um, that we run through in every code. So another interesting finding from that uh, same study from the recent study was that in a subsequent subgroup analysis of this large uh, study, they demonstrated that patients that had organized cardiac activity that um, visualized an ultrasound had actually higher survival rate if they had been managed with continuous infusion of pressors um, by their managing clinicians, suggesting that perhaps point-of-care uh, ultrasound during cardiac arrest may be able to identify the subset of patients in cardiac arrest that might benefit, that might respond differently to specific therapeutic interventions. And for instance, identify the patients that would be best managed with infusion of pressors as opposed to bolus doses of epinephrine. Unfortunately, there are several impediments, several limitations to the use of uh, TTE or surface echo during cardiac arrest. Some of those are related to uh, external factors, such as uh, the presence of defibrillator pads in the patient, the presence of an automated compression device, a mechanical compression device in the chest, and some are patient-related factors, right? We're familiar with uh, obesity, for instance, with the presence of emphysema, with the presence of gastric insufflation, right? Those patients that come in uh, and had been uh, managed with a BVM in the field had had um, plenty of gastric insufflation um, by, uh, provided by that BVM, and that really limits the ability uh, to obtain uh, images in those patients with uh, transthoracic, specifically when we attempt a subcyphoid approach. So the use of uh, TEE, or transesophageal echocardiography, during cardiac arrest um, has really shown to overcome many of these limitations um, and really offers a unique diagnostic uh, capability without really physically interfering with all those other resuscitation tasks that are important, defibrillation, high-quality CPR, and provides us with high-quality images continuously during the resuscitation in, in a reliable fashion. So we wanted to discuss in this um, episode the value of uh, TE specifically and review a couple of studies that um, our team and uh, other investigators have uh, done recently demonstrating, sort of describing the unique potential of TE in cardiac arrest resuscitation um, with potential specifically to improve uh, outcomes in cardiac arrest. Starting with one of the main limitations of uh, TTE, um, that being the difficulties uh, obtaining adequate views during the resuscitation, the, this theoretical concern um, with TTE is that the technical challenges of obtaining images during cardiac arrest could affect the quality of the resuscitation. And this concern has been supported at this point by two um, retrospective uh, small observational studies that showed that the use of TTE during cardiac arrest 
was associated with longer CPR pauses, longer interruptions of CPR, compared to cases in which no ultrasound had been used. Because this technically adequate images um, can be really feasible and easily obtained during the chest compressions with TEE, this really eliminates the time required to acquire the views. Supporting this point and this idea, there was one retrospective study by Dr. Jimmy Fair and our colleagues from University of Utah that compared the duration of chest compression pauses between TEE and TTE and no ultrasound and found that CPR pauses were significantly shorter when TEE was used. So this is obviously early evidence. These are retrospective, small cohorts, small studies, but have provided some signals that support the idea that TEE is an ideal modality to assess patients uh, during cardiac arrest. So we've touched on the uh, idea and the role of uh, TEE potentially uh, decreasing CPR pause, decreasing the duration of interruptions of CPR, thereby enhancing, improving um, the chest compression fraction, the time that we spend on the chest. Along with that, I think everyone is familiar, familiar at this point with the value, um, the role of TE, just like with TTE, to identify those treatable pathologies, to identify those uh, underlying diseases that could have led, that could have triggered um, the cardiac arrest, specifically those pathologies like PE or uh, pericardial tamponade that could lead to PEA and asystole, entities in which chest compressions are really the only outcome-improving therapy that we have. However, the aspect that uh, I personally believe um, is represents the area with most potential for TEE, and this is, I think, I speak for our team here at University of Pennsylvania, is that uh, the, the aspect where TEE has most potential is in the ability and the potential to improve the quality of the chest compressions, to improve the efficiency of CPR. What do we mean by that? Well, several studies have shown that compressions over the traditional center of the chest, this landmark-guided CPR, when we compress between the, um, uh, the internipple line and the center of the chest, may actually impede forward flow in a significant portion of cardiac arrest patients, up to 50% of patients. And perhaps this could explain, in part at least, the poor survival rates that we see in PEA and asystole, again, entities in which the only really effective treatment we have is CPR. This studies, both radiology studies using CTs and MRIs over the last decade, have indicated that the cardiac structures that are receiving the greatest compression force doing standard closed chest CPR, what we call the AMC, or area of maximal compression, are the left ventricular outflow tract, or LVOT, and the aortic root, as opposed to the left ventricle. It has also been shown um, in, in multiple studies 
that chest compressions yield higher stroke volume and cardiac output when the area of maximal compression is located over the left ventricle compared to that ascending aorta or the left ventricle outflow tract. And you might say, well, what is the implication of that? Um, there's a couple of very good animal studies conducted actually by our colleague Kenton Anderson, an emergency physician out of Stanford, that um, using a animal model of cardiac arrest of swine, they compared these different um, compression locations and have proven pretty definitively at this point that the area of maximal compression located over the left ventricle using TE guidance leads to higher coronary perfusion pressures that is, the main surrogate of myocardial perfusion, as well as higher in tidal CO2s, another surrogate of uh, cardiac output during cardiac arrest, and most importantly, to higher rates of ROSC, of return of spontaneous circulation, as well as immediate survival. Remarkably, in um, the first study by Dr. Anderson, they demonstrated that no animals, no pigs in the arm that got compressions over the left ventricle outflow tract had ROSC. So this essentially means, it has potential implication, that in this over 50% of patients in whom we are potentially um, doing CPR, compressing the left ventricle outflow tract, perhaps the reason why in a large portion of those patients we're not obtaining, we're not getting ROSC, might be because we're not producing any meaningful coronary perfusion pressures and therefore we're not perfusing the myocardium uh, requirement to obtain ROSC. So with TEE, because it has the ability to rotate the omniplane, to rotate the beam, that's what makes TEE um, unique as a diagnostic modality, we can align um, that beam in the sagittal plane, a vertical plane, in the plane that is consistent with the same plane in which we are actually compressing um, the chest in the same um, plane of those compression forces that we apply during CPR. So using this uh, metasophageal long axis view, one of the most common views we use for this purpose, we can actually in real time using TE visualize that area of maximal compression in the heart. So doing CPR, this can be used as a real time feedback to not only make the determination of whether we are actually compressing the left ventricle outflow tract or not, but actually assist the repositioning of that compression site and, and ideally optimize cardiac output by doing that. So again, in my opinion, beyond the evident value of T providing the same superior diagnostic information on uh, potentially treatable etiologies, guiding the prognosis based on the type of cardiac activity that we find, and potentially shortening the, poten the uh, duration of chest compression pauses, the aspect where T really brings the most value to the table is its unique ability to assess the heart doing ongoing compressions. And by doing that, again, without interrupting the delivery of chest compressions, identify those patients where CPR is just simply being ineffective because we're obstructing DLVOT or because we're simply not compressing the left ventricle. The possibility um, to make this determination in real time with TE and to optimize the way we deliver those chest compressions, for instance, by displacing the position of our hands or the position of that mechanical compression device, 
I believe is the most powerful feature of T. So to further explore these applications of T, we want to briefly review two studies that uh, were published this year. The first study was a study published by our team um, in February of uh, 2019 in resuscitation, and it was titled Evaluation of Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest Using Transophageal Echocardiography in the Emergency Department. This was a single-center study, um, a prospective assessment of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients. We enrolled patients um, coming from the pre-hospital and performed uh, T using this uh, four-view uh, focus protocol. We were interested in um, confirming the feasibility, um, first of all, of performing a TE in during the initial minutes of resuscitation. And um, we demonstrated in the study that um, in a total of 33 uh, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients, from those, a total of 21 uh, had a TE performed during arrest or intra-arrest, and 12 of those uh, presented uh, with ROSC, and we performed TE right after arrival. We were able to obtain um, all four views, all four images, in uh, every single of those patients, and the quality of the images was, was excellent, allowed um, adequate interpretation and diagnosis. And um, from a diagnostic standpoint, we were able to identify, um, for instance, uh, the presence of ventricular fibrillation or fine ventricular fibrillation in four of those patients. Those are cases that the team thought the rhythm was asystole based on what they were seeing in the electrical um, cardiac monitor. But um, the TE in those cases actually showed that there was myocardial fibrillation um, due to the, uh, thanks to the high uh, definition of those images, we can actually see the heart fibrillating. And this is an entity that has been well described. Um, and these patients um, were defibrillated in two of those cases, patients got uh, ROSC after that. Um, we were also able to identify patients in whom the diagnosis of uh, PEA was changed um, after assessing uh, with T and identifying that they actually had organized cardiac activity. So the diagnosis was made of pseudo-PA in those patients. We were also able to establish that, again, consistent with what other studies have shown before, the presence of right ventricular dilation, of RV dilation, is a rather common finding intra-arrest. We found that in 12 of our uh, 21 patients intra-arrest, they met criteria of RV dilation uh, when, when assessing the uh, RV to LV ratio. The uh, likely explanation of this, at, at least based on a number of studies that have uh, shown this both in animals and humans, is that the presence of RV dilation is simply uh, due to a physiologic or a pathophysiologic uh, finding that is intrinsic to the arrest uh, hemodynamics and that is likely due to pooling of blood on the right side. We see uh, commonly dilation of the right atrium and dilation of the right ventricle and we very often see that those chambers then um, become smaller and sort of 
uh, go back to a normal size once we've established, once we've achieved ROSC and once we have established adequate perfusion. So I think that this is one of the important findings of the study in that um, it supports, it kind of challenges the idea that we've, I think, been um, teaching for many years uh, where the findings of RV dilation intra-rest means or should uh, lead to the diagnosis of uh, a massive PE. Of course, it's important to identify PE, but we know, based on this data and many other studies, that this is a rather uh, non-specific finding. And at this point, we really don't know how to establish which of those patients actually has an underlying um, obstructive pathologies such as a PE, um, and, and therefore we need to continue uh, doing research in this area. But the single most, I think, important finding uh, of this study was the finding that in over um, half of our patients, specifically in 53% of the patients, the area of maximal compression, that is the area of the heart that is having the most compression doing CPR, was located um, in the LVOT. That means that over half of our patients, when we look with T in their initial phase of the resuscitation soon after arrival, in over 50% of our patients, we were simply not compressing their left ventricle. Um, this is, again, consistent with multiple prior studies that have, as I said, described the fact that in over 50% of adults, the structures that are located under the sternum um, are not the left ventricle and the right ventricle, but um, instead the left ventricle outflow tract and the ascending, uh, the aortic root. So this was an interesting finding. Of course, um, you might wonder, well, what is the implication of that? What is the um, impact of that finding in survival? Um, and we were not able to uh, answer that question based on this study, but it's, that is definitely um, a question that we are interested in and that uh, future studies will be addressing. Um, there is a second study that was published uh, actually within uh, a month or so of uh, the study published by our team by a Italian team, uh, a team from Sacco uh, Luigi or Luigi Sacco Hospital in Milan, Italy. Uh, a team led by Dr. Emanuel Catina and senior author uh, Dr. Ricardo Colombo. This was a study that, um, in a very with a very similar approach um, that we did, um, but in a retrospective analysis, they looked at a cohort of patients in whom they had performed a TE during uh, the initial resuscitation of cardiac arrest uh, in the emergency department specifically of patients actually that were candidate, uh, that were being uh, prepared for uh, candidation for ECMO, that were put on, on ECMO in the setting of refractory uh, cardiac arrest. Um, they enrolled 19 patients, and specifically what they were interested um, in doing in that study was in um, establishing whether the presence of um, compression of the left ventricle alpha tract the uh, presence of obstruction of the outflow tract um, by assessment uh, or determined by TEE during cardiac arrest 
correlated with survival. So they conducted this retrospective analysis. Um, the primary outcome in that study was um, ROSC um, and short-term survival, uh, 24 hours. And the findings of the study show that in 100% of their survivors, as you would expect, they had uh, an open left ventricular outflow tract. In contrast to that, among non-survivors of that group, only 8% of them had an open left ventricular outflow tract. So they demonstrated that um, the presence of obstruction of the left ventricular outflow tract is in the, or more specifically, the presence or the finding of an open left ventricular outflow tract during resuscitation was associated with improved uh, survival. So this is um, obviously a early, uh, this is early data, this is a retrospective cohort and it's a small single cylinder study, but this uh, again supports the idea, the potential of using TE to make these determinations uh, during cardiac arrest and perhaps improve um, cardiac arrest outcomes. So to wrap this up, I think we could summarize the uh, potential, the role of TE in cardiac arrest during resuscitation um, with the following four main um, aspects. The first one is that individualized or patient-centric care um, is something that we could optimize, something that we could achieve using TE. Specifically, we can identify reliably in every single patient the specific type of cardiac activity that they have, determine the most adequate treatment for that specific patient um, that we have in front of us, rather than putting everyone through the same sort of one-size-fits-all algorithm, particularly when this algorithm is not really leading to ROSC in many of these cases. The second aspect is the identification of reversible, potentially treatable pathologies, uh, again, without compromising the quality of CPR, specifically without the challenges of obtaining views during resuscitation, a challenge, as we mentioned, that we commonly have with TTE. The third aspect is the ability um, that we have with TEE to enhance the quality of chest compressions by identifying those patients where our standard CPR is just simply not being effective and in real time be able to optimize the quality of compression site in order to deliver better cardiac output. And the last aspect would be the shortening of the duration of CPR pauses by facilitating the interpretation of cardiac activity together with the cardiac rhythm in a few seconds potentially eliminating in the future the need for digital palpation of pulses. Obviously, once we know how to correlate the sonographic data with perfusion. I think um, the final item for discussion really is what would you advise listeners out there? Should we be buying TE probes and doing this now? Is this still very much an area of research? Are there some specific practical applications that seem reasonable for places that do have that capability that they should be looking for now? That is to say, what are, what are we going to do about this practically? What are some of the practical things we might be able to do today with TE, if any? It's a very good question, Ben. So, um, 
for sure, at this point, this is um, primarily a matter of research and active research. Uh, but there is some data already out there, and um, there's actually some uh, supporting guidelines that are uh, relevant, I think, for this, for this specific um, field. Um, specifically, the American College of Emergency Physicians, uh, two years ago, in 2017, actually endorsed the use of transesophageal echo in cardiac arrest as the ideal modality and made recommendations based on a number of studies that have proven, again, the feasibility of doing this in cardiac arrest, the feasibility of training emergency physicians and intensivists uh, for the use of uh, TEE at the point of care with a focus approach, just like we use uh, transthoracic or ultrasound in the emergency department setting. And that guideline supports emergency physicians using TEE as a modality that has the potential to do exactly the same things that we can do with uh, transthoracic, with surface ultrasound, that, as a reminder, is mentioned in current international resuscitation guidelines. Current resuscitation guidelines say that clinicians should use uh, transthoracic echo ultrasound during cardiac arrest with the goal to identify those reversible etiologies as potential things that can be treated intra-arrest. As long as the clinicians have the appropriate training to do that without compromising the delivery of uh, the rest of resuscitation therapies, specifically without compromising high quality CPR and prompt defibrillation when indicated. So, the answer, I think, from a practical standpoint is that in 2019, based on the evidence that we have available, there is, I think, enough evidence to support the use of TEE as a modality that can help us do that assessment to establish whether there is a reversible ideology. That was great, Felipe. Thank you for explaining some of this really exciting science to us. And I do think the next few years, we'll see a lot more work on TEE in cardiac arrest. I dream of a day when we will apply this or other related technologies and be able to determine, for example, who needs thrombolytics, who needs pericardiocentesis, who needs other actions, so that we can make our resuscitation care and intra-arrest care more rational, more patient-focused, more tailored, and more really in line with the technologies we have available to us in the 21st century. So with that, I thank you, the listeners, for tuning in to this 13th podcast from the TTM Academy. Again, my name is Dr. Benjamin Abella, the director of the TTM Academy. If you want to learn more, visit us at www.penttm.com. That's one word, P-E-N-N. TTM.com and stay tuned for future podcasts. Also, those of you listening in the near future should be aware that we will be at the Resuscitation Science Symposium Saturday and Sunday, November 16th and 17th in Philadelphia, which is really one of the premier meeting places of resuscitation and cardiac arrest researchers and healthcare providers in the world. And we look forward to meeting some of you there. Thank you again.